Let's read his word. First letter of Peter, first chapter, first verse, first nine verses. Page one one, sorry, page one two one nine in our church Bibles. First letter of Peter, first chapter, verses one to nine. Page one two one nine. The Apostle Peter, a fisherman, apostle, denier of Jesus, restorer, martyr, in the end, writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, if this morning we were at ground zero, tonight we're aiming for heaven infinity. The contrast could not be greater in terms of our, our angle, our direction, the way that we are aiming, the, the way that we are looking. Our theme tonight is what Peter calls here in verse 3, our living hope. We said last time, looking at verse 1, that we are elect exiles. Exiles because as God's people, we are living in a world that is not yet our true home. And there is within the breast of every true believer a longing, a yearning, an aching, a waiting, a looking for that true home of the 
Christian soul. But we are elect exiles precisely because we have that hope that God has placed in the hearts of his beloved chosen people. Elect means chosen. Elect means favored. Elect means loved by God with an everlasting love from before the foundation of this world and given a hope that is altogether glorious and wonderful. And that's where we are tonight. And that's what we need in this dark world, in this world where people are falling away from the Lord, it seems, in great numbers. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain. It's gone through the curtain. It's touching the throne. And that really is my first point tonight. A certain hope. A certain hope. A certain and living hope. Verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, says Peter. Praise God. Praise the Father. Praise the Father of Jesus. Why? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is the distinctive feature of Christian hope? It is certain. It's not speculation. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a lottery. It's not a perhaps, a maybe, and if I'm lucky, if things fall out for me. We talk about hope in all sorts of ways, don't we? We have hopes. We have hopes for ourselves and hopes for our children and hopes for our loved ones and hopes for our people, hopes for our country, hopes for our world. But this is not that kind of hope. Biblical hope is fixed. Biblical hope is real. Biblical hope is guaranteed and assured. Why can we say that? Well, the answer is in this verse. Because it is all through and tied up with and bound to this one reality, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All your hope as a Christian, all my hope, everything of hope, everything of prospect, everything of joy, everything of optimism, everything of looking up, having smiling faces, having a, a sense that there is better, that there is more, that there is wonder, that there is joy, that there is life, that there is something good and perfect and eternal, is all bolted onto Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Peter the Apostle and the other Apostles what was their great message in the book of Acts? As we go through Acts from chapter 2 all the way through from Pentecost through the following years when Peter and Paul and others were preaching, in almost every case, what became the great climax of their preached message? It was this. It was that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He died. He had to die. His death atones for our sins. 
But he's now alive. Permanently alive. Eternally alive. Gloriously alive. I would even see in verse 3 that there is an almost physical connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the being born again of the believer. Can you see how he says in verse 3, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does that mean? It surely means something like this. We've just sung about it. Bursting forth to glorious life, up from the grave he rose again. In history, nearly 2,000 years ago, a dead man laid in a tomb in Judea, who was the Son of God, burst forth to eternal life. And in that, because of that, as part of that, you and I, if we're Christians, burst forth from the darkness of unbelief into the brightness of everlasting life. We were born again. We were born again from the dead and into life. Our eyes were opened. Our mouths were opened. Our ears were opened. Our hearts were opened. I'm not making it up. What does Paul say in Romans 8 verse 11? The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you if you are Christ's. Christ's resurrection is the cause of your new birth. It is linked to your new birth. They cannot be separated. We are one with Jesus Christ. We identify with him in his death. He died. He died to sin. And if we are in Christ, we died to sin in him. We died to the power of sin, to the guilt of sin, to the condemnation of sin. Does sin have a hold over Jesus Christ? It doesn't. It doesn't. It can't. He defeated sin. My friend, if you're in Christ, in the same way, in just the same way, the guilt of sin and the power of sin has no hold over you, none at all. And in the same way, because Jesus is risen from the dead and risen to life, he's alive and you're alive in him. And nothing and no one can snatch that life away from you. You're alive now. Yes, today, in this world, still a world of sin, still living in bodies with sin in them, still sinning today and sinning tomorrow and having to confess our sins tonight and tomorrow, all that being the case. And yet we are alive. We've been born again because Jesus is alive. But I want us to see that really in this passage, indeed in this whole letter to a certain extent, Peter has a very, very clear future orientation. It's about hope. It's about what we do not yet see. Again, Paul says in Romans 8, verse 24, uh, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Yes, we're alive now. Praise God. You're alive now if you're in Christ. But the focus of Peter's writing here is very much on our future hope. It's going to get better than this. Praise God for that. It's going to get so much better than this. And again, it's all to do with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let me come to my second point. We have a future inheritance. A future inheritance. 
Verse 4. What is this hope that we have been born again to? He says in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's just start with that last bit. Kept in heaven for you. What is an inheritance? It's a fortune, a substantial fortune. It's a great estate. It's a bequest. It's some large sum of money or goods or property, whatever it might be, which is made over to us. We are the beneficiaries. We will receive this inheritance. But an inheritance does not come into our actual possession until a certain time. Here's a young child. He's an heir to a great inheritance. But he won't be able to say, this is mine and I can do what I want with it until he reaches, let's say, the age of 21. You imagine that. Imagine you lads who are here tonight, somehow, maybe it's true for you, I don't know if it's true for you guys over there, I don't think it's true for Daniel, but at the age of 21, you're going to come into a, a great inheritance. You know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, PS4s, or whatever it might be that you like playing with, Xboxes, and, and all better things than that. And you're thinking to yourself, I can't wait till I reach that age, and I will inherit that. It will be mine. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that day. I will have what I've been promised. I'll have, I'll have the actual possession. I'll be able to look at it and hold on to it and see it and, and, and really, really enjoy it. Peter's saying this to all God's people. There is an inheritance kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven for you. It's, it's not here in this world right now. We can't go and look at it and take it apart and examine it and get inside it. Not yet. It's kept in heaven until a certain time. But notice how Peter describes this inheritance. Imperishable. Undefiled. And unfading. People in this world have inheritances, don't they? And inheritances in this world can perish, can defile, can fade. You can make a bad investment. Stock markets crash. Currencies collapse. Goods lose their value. The gold loses its luster. The precious stones begin to chip. The beautiful garments become moth-eaten. Things that seem of value one day in this world become obsolete. I remember when I was in my early teens, we were very jealous of our cousin and our uncle and aunt because they had a better video player than we had. We had a normal standard video player. They had a Betamax video player. Remember anybody remember Betamax video players? By 1990 they were obsolete. You couldn't use them for anything. You couldn't play any videos in them. They didn't work with any normal videos. They were, they were hopeless. They were great for a while but uh, they just lost their, uh, they lost their value. They faded away. Our inheritance isn't like that. 
What we have kept in heaven for us will never lose its value, never fade away, never perish, never be defiled. We need to understand when the Bible speaks about inheritances. Almost always there is an Old Testament picture in view here. The great inheritance of the Old Testament saints was the land of Canaan. It was that land flowing with milk and honey. Time and again, we read, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, of God speaking to his people in the wilderness about the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. The land was their inheritance. The free gift of God. The gracious gift of God. It was for his people. It was for them to enjoy. It was for them to settle in. It was where they would meet with God and he would be with them. And he would be their God throughout all their generations. But what happened? What happened? The trouble with that inheritance was that the people of God squandered it. How? Well, we thought about it this morning, didn't we? Remember Joshua again at the end of his life, talking to the people of Israel and charging them to keep God's laws, rules, commands, ordinances, statutes, and so on. And they said, we will do them all. But they didn't. And Joshua knew that they wouldn't. He said, you are not able to keep God's commands. God is a holy God. You cannot keep his statutes and his laws. And that's exactly what happened. They turned away from God. They worshipped idols. And then really the whole narrative of the Old Testament from Joshua through to Second Kings and indeed into Chronicles and beyond talks about that decline of the people of God, their idolatry, their unfaithfulness, until God said, I'm going to eject you from the land, I'm going to send you into exile. Your inheritance is no more. It has become defiled and corrupted and faded away. That's the end of it, in that form. Now, at this point, let's ask a question that Christians sometimes ask. It's a very good question. It's a very reasonable question. If we're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth one day, what if things go wrong there? I mean, there was a paradise, wasn't there, in Eden? It was good, wasn't it? It was very good, wasn't it? But in came Satan. And in came sin. And in came temptation. And in came death. And it all was lost. And in came a curse. What if sin invades the new paradise? What if we make such a mess of the new earth that we only succeed again in polluting and corrupting and destroying it? And there's an answer to that question. There is a wonderfully reassuring answer to that question. The first earth the first Eden, this world, the land of Canaan that the people of Israel went into was only a type and a picture of the glory that lies ahead of us. And understand this, the old creation, 
in which we still live. Of which the land of Canaan was a part, as was the original Garden of Eden. And this world is that old creation. It has the character still of the first Adam. It's sinful, it's corrupt, it's polluted, it's mortal, it's liable to decay. The world we live in, the world as it is now, as it has been since Satan first entered this world and tempted our first parents, partakes of the character of the first old Adam. But this is the point. The new creation, the new inheritance, the new heaven and the new earth has the character of the second Adam. It has the character of the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. Holy, undefiled, pure, sinless, innocent, righteous and eternal. In that new Jerusalem which we read of in the book of Revelation, there is no longer any curse. There can't be any curse. Why not? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ fills and defines that glorious, eternal, final inheritance. His life, which has defeated sin and every enemy of ours and banishes everything of the curse, defines our final inheritance. There will never be another serpent entering that new earth. There will never be sin entering that new paradise. There will never be fallenness in that glorious resurrection future that we await because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, over all creation, has subdued and defeated every enemy. We mustn't say, well, will it be a bit like an ongoing cycle? You know, a bit like Indy Ref 1, 2, 3 in Scotland. You go round and round again and you have more sin and more redemption and more sin and more redemption. No, none of that. There is a final redemption. There is a full redemption. There is perfection. Because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. That's how wonderful it is. But there is a third thing we must see in this passage tonight thought about a certain hope bolted on to the resurrection of Jesus we've thought about a future inheritance guaranteed because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and we have thirdly a present guarding a present guarding verse 5 look at verse 5 this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And there we see again what Peter's just said in the earlier verse. It's to be revealed in the last time. It's kept in heaven for you. We don't yet see this new earth. We hope for it. We hope for it with certainty. Certainty. There's nothing more certain than that we in Christ will receive this inheritance. It will be revealed in this last time. But what's happening to us now? What about this life? Or let's put the question like this. Okay then. We know that once we're in glory, 
The inheritance will all be ours. No one and nothing will be able to ruin it all. Not then. But what about now? What about for the next few years? What about if you or I manage to ruin our inheritance in this present life? What if by our own present actions we disinherit ourselves? We disqualify ourselves. And we lose out because of what we do wrong. Could that happen? Might that happen? What does Peter say here? He talks about God's power guarding us through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the language here is military language. It's the language of God garrisoning his people about by his power. God, as it were, appoints sentries and guards and soldiers to keep and protect his chosen ones during their time of exile here. Why? Why does he do that? He does that because God's people are very precious to him. And because as we go on to see in verse 7, their faith is precious. That's the picture. You take the crown jewels in the Tower of London. Are they left in the open? Are they unguarded? Are they there in a kind of open box or left on a table or carried around and just sort of left for anybody to come in and take away whatever they want to? No, of course they're not. They're guarded, aren't they? They're under incredibly careful security and guarding and uh, all sorts of high-tech ways of making sure no one can get near them. Why? Because they're precious. Because they are pricelessly precious. But not as precious as your faith. Not as precious as your faith. Do you know that? Your faith is much more precious than any crown jewels anywhere in the world. And that's why God, by his power, guards us. Guards our faith. Sometimes people like to talk about guardian angels. You've heard people talk about guardian angels. There's a lot of interest, has been for a while, in angels. Who's your angel? Are there angels attached to everybody? A specific guardian angel? It's an interesting question, not an unimportant question. But the Bible doesn't make it terribly clear what the answer to that is, not in every case. Instead, Peter draws our attention here in verse 5 to what we might call the guardian faith that God works in his own people by his own power. Now, what does that mean? Guardian faith. It means this. Whenever you or I exercise faith in the promises of God, when our hearts reach out and reach up to God, when our minds latch on to the promises of God, when our voices sing the praise of God and the gospel of God, when in our need and desperation we say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me, when in a time of uh, 
of any kind of need or whatever it might be, our, our thoughts and our, our intentions turn to God. Why does that happen? What makes that happen? It's all because of God's guardian power working in us. And especially when you and I are drawn back to the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, when we remember that he was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the power of the Spirit, made man, that he lived, that he was crucified, that he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. When we think to ourselves, this was all done for me, this was all done for us, this was done for my salvation, this is my salvation, this is our salvation. What's going on when that happens? What's going on in the wider cosmic arena? God's guardian power is at work keeping your soul. That's what God does. What is your faith? What is my faith? Is it the free exercise of our own will that we decide to have faith quite voluntarily and independently? No, it's not. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is the grace of God, the gift of God, not of works, not of yourselves, by faith, so that no one may boast. I am, by grace, a Christian tonight who has faith in Jesus Christ. Where did that faith come from? It came from God. It comes from God. It comes from God every time I exercise faith. The same is true of you. Your faith is not your own internal work that you manage to engineer and construct for yourself it's given by God it's always given by God by his guardian power and it's a faith that needs to be strengthened and nurtured that's why we hold on to the promises of God in Jesus Christ that's why we wobble and grow weak and fearful when we spend time away from God from his word from his promises, from his people, from his worship. That's why God, why the Bible here speaks in this very passage of your faith and my faith being precious. We hold fast to his promises. Just notice the final thing that Peter says here in verse 5. We are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last Time. Again, there is this future direction and orientation. It's such a glorious future that it's called a salvation. Do you notice that in verse 5? A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wait a minute, you might feel like saying. I thought we were already saved. I thought salvation has happened before. I thought salvation happened the moment that I was born again and believed. Isn't salvation something past? And the answer is, salvation is past. Salvation is present, as we'll come to see eventually in verse 9. But here in verse 5, salvation is future. What does that mean? There is a sense in which you and I are not yet saved. We are not yet saved. 
We are not yet what we will be. We're safe. We're secure. But there's that hymn that says, more happy, but not more secure. The glorified spirits in heaven. There is an aspect of our salvation to be glorified. To be made perfectly sinless. And to be made perfectly happy. Which still lies ahead. The summer has gone. The harvest is over. Says the prophet. And we are not saved. Well he's giving expression there to. What New Testament saints also feel. Let's be honest with each other brothers and sisters. Many of us in this congregation morning and evening. Have many many great burdens and sorrows. Our bodies are worn out. And clapped out. Our minds Our mental health is not what it should be. Our homes, our environments, our work, our relations, our relationships, our friendships. The fabric of our lives is in disrepair. We live in a sin-sick world, in sin-sick bodies with sin-sick minds. Be not surprised about this. The Bible says that time and time again. Because we're not yet saved. We're not yet saved in that final sense of the glory, the perfection that we will one day know. But what is, what is that perfection really all about? It's no surprise, is it? We're back again to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why Peter mentions it here in verse 3 as the very kind of launching pad of everything else. We will be fully and finally saved when we see Jesus as he is and we will be like him. We will see him and we will share fully in his resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruits It's the guarantee, it's the promise, it's the down payment, it's the resurrection that begins every other resurrection. And as he is, so we will be forever. And so will be the whole new heaven and new earth in which we dwell, where righteousness is found. We will be as the risen Jesus is. And then and only then we will be fully, fully saved. Hope in Christ. Who else can give you a hope like that? None but Jesus. None but Jesus. This is the great hope of every Christian. Hold on to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, Father of this risen Jesus Christ, who gave him glory, we think, O Lord, of those who have gone to be with the Saviour, and they have been, now we understand, translated into a situation and circumstances where 
all sin has been taken from them and they see Jesus they are with him in paradise this is a wonderful thing and then O Lord God a day is coming when the dead in Christ and then those who are living will be raised and given bodies like his this is even more glorious we will see him as he is and we will be like him but Lord God we pray we pray that this hope that is spelt out for us in such wonderful exalted terms by your servant Peter would would really really be in our hearts and minds every day of our lives we pray when we encounter dark and sad days and trials and difficulties we pray that the living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead would be by your spirit's power pounding away in our hearts and minds pulsating through our spiritual arteries and veins oh Lord our God we pray hope does not disappoint us because you have poured out your love and your hope and your peace by your Holy Spirit whom you have given to us. Oh Lord, give us your Spirit in greater measure, we pray. For this week, for every day of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.